as a subject matter expert, whatever, whatever industry you're in, you know, you develop intellectual property and that is a real asset and you have to see it as a real asset and it, you know, it's saleable, it's licensable. And so you just don't give that away to anybody or you don't give it away in perpetuity. Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales and marketing and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My guest today is Bill Cates. He is an internationally recognized client acquisition expert, author, and speaker who motivates others to take action with proven strategies. As a successful entrepreneur, Bill started and sold two book publishing companies. Turning his attention to other businesses' uh, growth, Bill has written four best-selling books, Get More Referrals Now, Don't Keep Me a Secret, Beyond Referrals, and Radical Relevance. Bill has delivered his business growth message to over 500,000 professionals, small business owners, and salespeople across five continents, helping them increase revenue without increasing their marketing budget. His client acquisition system has been featured in publications such as Success Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine, Selling Power, The Huffington Post, and The Wall Street Journal. And his own business success has been featured in Money Magazine. Bill's also the founding member of the Million Dollar Speakers Group and was inducted into the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame in 2010. Uh, He's one of 182 living members worldwide in that organization. Uh, And Bill is somewhat of an adventurer. He's trekked through the Himalayas of Nepal and the Andes of Peru. He lived in a houseboat in Kashmir, India, climbed Machu Picchu, reached the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro, camped in the Arctic Circle, and toured the country as a drummer in a rock band. Bill, what a background. I'm so excited to have you on the program. It's great to be with you, Corey. And probably the most dangerous of all of those was touring the country as a drummer in a rock and roll band. <laughs> yeah, even more. Listen, I, I just got back from trekking in, in Nepal. So we, oh, we, have that, we have that in common. We have being... Uh, members of the uh, the National Speakers Association in common. Mm-hmm. But uh, several of the things you've done, including being a drummer in a rock band, I have never done. Well, it's the uh, the jealous ex-husbands at the nightclubs that you have to be uh, careful of. <laughs> I see that, totally. So listen, Bill, before we delve more into um, you know what you do and then also some of the deals you've done, you sold a couple of companies, you, you uh, do some licensing stuff I definitely want to talk about. I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up. Mm. Uh, what did you want to be? Because, uh, you know, owning a couple of book publishing companies and being a professional speaker, maybe that was it, but I, you know, maybe not. Well, it, truth be told, I don't know how many people I've ever told this to. I, I wanted to be a good humor man. I want to be the guy that comes around the neighborhood with the truck with the, the bells and has these compartments all over his truck where he reaches his hand and pulls out ice cream. Uh, <laughs> that, that was my goal was to be a good humor man. And I almost did it. One summer job, they, a lot of guys do it as summer jobs, but uh, the hours were way too long for me. Of course, now I'm working longer hours than uh, I ever would have done there. But uh, and, and and you don't even and you don't even have ice cream that you can eat while you while, exactly. while you're working. Although although I can buy a lot of ice cream. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, 
Oh, that's great. I love that. Uh, I love that. And um, just one more question from the past. Uh, what was uh, what was your first real business, however you define that? Oh, Lord. Um, well, all right. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you two, I guess. The, the, the first business, but not qualified with the word real, is I started a newsletter in my neighborhood. Okay. Uh, the problem with the newsletter is that while I could use my mother's mimeograph machine and see if there's anybody on this uh, podcast old enough to know what a mimeograph machine <laughs> yeah. is. that could produce the text but i had to actually draw the individual illustrations on each one of them um so that was that was a business that didn't last very long <laughs> love it because <laughs> it was pretty laborious uh but after that the, the the really the first business that i started was my my first publishing company and so tell us about just a little bit about uh you know how you how you got that started and uh, and yeah, then sure. you know where it's where it's led you. Sure I was I was uh reading a magazine uh I don't remember the name of the magazine but there was an ad in the magazine and it was one of these advertorials so it's it was an ad but it looked like a you know an article and the title of it was dollars in your mailbox and I'm thinking, hmm, that sounds interesting. Who wouldn't want dollars in their mailbox, right? This was long before the internet. This was this was in, uh, gosh, 89. This was like late, late 70s, uh, early 80s, I guess. And um, it was essentially about selling information through the mail, uh, like everybody does on the internet now. But this was long before that. So writing a book or getting someone else's book, the biggest book that they used was this, as an example was this guy who wrote a book on how to get rid of moles in your front yard. <laughs> put ads in the back of popular science and popular mechanics and places like that. And he just sold gazillions of these books. And so uh, I'm thinking, well, what, I, what do I know about? How could, you know, could I write a book on, on something and sell it? And I worked for the airlines. I worked for American Airlines at the time. And I thought, all right, I'll write a book on airline careers. And so I wrote a little book on airline careers and I started putting ads, one inch space ads in the back of different magazines that I thought might attract the right people. And that's, that was my first legit business was uh, selling that book and learning all the principles of direct marketing. Um, it, and all of those principles still stand true today. Every, every principle used in selling that book still stands true today. Just we have different technology and different markets and different approaches, but uh, it's essentially the same. And so that's what got me into the, into the book publishing business was that first book. Oh, I love it. And so you ended up, at, uh, th that uh, turned into a company and then uh, you, had, you had a second publishing company. So give us a little bit about that. And, and also, you know, in terms of deals, you ended up selling those companies, right? I did. So um, let's see. So what happened with the first one, uh, it, it slowly morphed into a no, I shouldn't say slowly. It morphed into a, a cookbook publishing company. And I wasn't a cook. I was a business person or even a fledgling business person at that. But I ran into a flight attendant who said, you know, I, I need a publisher. I, you know, I need these people. And, and I go, that's me. She says, no, no, not, not you who wrote it. I need the publisher. I go, no, that's me. And so she finally realized that I published it and she's wanted help publishing the cookbook, just self-published. So I did that, helped her with that. And that's when I saw, that's when a light bulb went off, Corey, is like, People read cookbooks just for vicarious pleasure, even if they never cook. They collect these things. They read these things. Again, you couldn't get recipes on the internet. And so I borrowed $40,000 from my father, and I came out with six cookbooks. 
six very specific topic cookbooks. And I slowly grew that business and I started getting spinner racks in stores. And uh, I, I actually sold some specialty books to uh, a lot of books to manufacturers of, of different types of cookware, a smoker. I did a smoker cookbook. I did uh, for American greeting cards. We did a cookie cookbook that came out around Christmas, Christmas cookies. So I did a lot of that specialty type of manufacturing of books. Again, I didn't write any of these. I just, I had authors who did it. Sure. And my biggest sale was to Bumblebee Tuna who found my seafood cookbook and wanted to give it away as a premium in grocery stores. And they bought 400,000 copies of that book. Uh, and the joke is that that sale changed my life because I was the sales rep and I got a nice commission and I was a company owner and I got all the rest. <laughs> so I, I used that. I built the business, eventually sold it. Um, the other business was also a book publishing company, um, but it was more humorous books. We had some cookbooks. We had some other fun books. Uh, and that was with a business partner. So then I learned the pros of cons that many people on this call can, can relate to of, of being in business with a business partner. Um, so that's, that's kind of the evolution of how I, I got into that and eventually sold those two. So it's interesting because there's several deals that, you know, in what you just described, and I don't want to skip over all of them. I mean, so, you know, so the first one is, and this is something that to this day, I'm amazed at. so, you know, I'm generally, um, amazed at how infrequently people use various types of deals and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and there's so many opportunities. So, you know, going back to, uh, you know, Bumblebee Tuner and these other companies, uh, you know, uh, so many of our, our colleagues in the National Speakers Association who are uh, speakers and authors outside of that, uh, you know, write books uh, and, you know, they, they try to sell them the traditional way. And most people don't realize, may not realize that the average book sells under 300 copies. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, uh, and, you know, 90 some odd percent of the books sell under a thousand copies. Um, and, uh, so few people do what you did. I mean, I happen to, um, have David Bach on a, on a recent episode. He's a good, good friend of client of mine, wrote, uh, has the Lottie factor out there with the automatic millionaire. And he's the, he's used this strategy of partnering, you know, with various, uh, companies to help, uh, you know, buy and move and leverage, uh, you know, lots of books. So talk to us a little bit about that, because even nowadays, so few authors uh, take advantage of that kind of deal. Well, you, you said the key word there, and you, you said it quickly, but it is the key word, and that is leverage. And, and, you know, some people see leverage as a bad thing. I don't. I see it as a way to create opportunity that has to be win-win, or I, don't, I wouldn't do it. But, um, in this case, it's intellectual property, and I don't care whether you're a speaker or any kind of business, a financial, you know, planner or investment man, right? We we are all subject matter experts, right? We have this, this, this. We know things that other people don't know, and in my in my world, you know, experts speak, experts write, experts find ways to get their knowledge out to to people, and there's a lot of ways to do that. And you can have to, you know, to one to one, and then you can have one to a few, and then you can have one to many. And there's a lot of models, and, and I like to do kind of all of those. And so what I saw in when I first got started in book publishing is that, yeah, I could sell to stores, and the stores would reorder, hopefully. Uh, but my success of selling a lot of books was dependent on a lot of people. So it was good in the sense that it was diverse. On the other hand, I also saw that there was, you know, all the cookware, all the smokers and the grills and the microwaves and everything, right? Crockpot, they all came with cookbooks. Well, they had to get somebody to write that cookbook. 
most of them were pretty lousy. So I just started approaching those folks. Now, I'll tell you what made the difference for me, if you don't mind, real quick. Sure. My company, and, and some people may resonate with this, uh, my company initially was called WRC Publishing, William Richard Cates. It meant nothing to nobody except for me and my parents. Um, but I knew it wasn't really the strongest name, and I wanted to get in this business of doing books for other people so I can sell large quantities of books that I shipped to one location, and I only had to make one sale uh, to do it. And so I woke up one morning, I had an epiphany, and I changed the name of the company from WRC Publishing to the American Cooking Guild. Mm. Now, who would you buy a book from, WRC Publishing or the American Cooking Guild? And that's what, that was a big decision that made a big difference in my company. So when I now approached these manufacturers of cooking items, I, I had a little bit of cred just from the company name. Mm. Um, and, and it, so, you know, the company name can, you don't have to have a company name that relates exactly what you do, but when you have it and you have the right one, then you bring instant cred just through the name because it tells people what you do. That's great. So I actually want to jump to the present. I, you know, I'll probably go back and ask you about uh, some things around the sale of your companies and your business partnership because those are deals as well. But, yeah. but you know, this thread we're talking about now in terms of the opportunities to leverage intellectual property right. is something that you still do in, in different ways. And, and listen, you are, uh, you know, a million dollar speaker, speaker hall of fame. I mean, you, you could, you could, and, and I'm sure do, make a very nice living just from, from speaking fees, right? And you can go around the world and, and get paid to speak, and that's, you know, a, a nice business, making more money than a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, or and, you know, there's, you still continue to leverage your intellectual property uh, in ways that don't require you to make all your money from, from being on a stage. So I'd love to hear more about that because it seems to be, you know, sort of an extension of what you were doing back in your book publishing days. Sure. So what happened um, is I, I got into the business of, of speaking after I sold the, the, the book, uh, the publishing companies. And, you know, I, I, I learned pretty quickly the trials and tribulations of lots of travel. Um, I also saw that, you know, if, if I broke my leg really bad or if I, God forbid, got sick or couldn't speak again, I'd be in bad shape, right? There's yeah. nothing else out there. And yeah. I, and in, at the same time, I also learned that when I give a speech, while it has some impact on some people, the impact is limited, really. I mean, you know, do, do can we change someone's life with a new perspective? Yeah, we can. But in most cases, it's that was nice and most people just move on their way, right? So I wanted to have more impact at the same time. And ultimately, I wanted a business that I could sell. And so when you make it all about you, just around you, surrounded by you, nothing else but you, what happens if you get sick, right? Is there anything else going on there? It's, it's, it's kind of a flawed business model. Um, you know, professional services in general, you got you to gotta make sure that not just having disability insurance in place, but what's gonna, who's going to take over the helm if you can't do it, right? And most people don't think about that in professional services. So I was thinking about that. And um, so I, I, you know, I could, I wouldn't say I could never speak again and still earn a good living because some of what I do is stimulated by me going out and about speaking and giving speeches and such. And so it's definitely goes hand in hand, but I certainly could not speak for a year and still make quite good living just through the, um, you know, the sales of the video training program. 
uh, and that, and I'm affecting and helping a lot more people. And what's easy about licensing my intellectual property is that the cost of sale, this is probably the best part, the cost of sale approaches zero, right? You think about even, even time, right? Even my time is, is almost nil when it comes to this. Once the deal is set, I have uh, licensing deals with some large insurance companies that are in their 14th and 15th year. And to keep the deal going, here's what I do. You ready? You'll love this. Uh, I just, just did one recently for a company. I changed 2018 to 2019 in the agreement. <laughs> and then I emailed it signed to them. That was my cost of sale. Love it. That's a deal, right? And I've got a bunch of those. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And, and so, so talk a little more specifically about exactly what your licensing is. Is it all video programs? What else? You know, what does it look like? Yeah, in my case, it is. In my case, I put on video a long time ago. I've been doing video training, licensing for 18 years, again, long before the internet. Um, it's The internet's made it easier in a lot of ways, but we started out with VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about it. I mean, essentially what happened was doing some work for Mutual of Omaha, and they liked it, and they wanted to get out to more people, and they couldn't afford, or so said they thought, to take me to everywhere all the time, and they, they were hiring a lot, so they wanted an easier way. So we essentially made a deal. Um, and, and here was some magical thing. Cause a lot of times when you do work like this for a company, they want to put their brand all over it. They want it to come from them, you know, the corporate ego thing. Uh, mutual says, we don't want it to come from us. It will actually have more credibility if it comes from the outside that we went mm. out and find you. Mm. That was music to my ears because now I had a product that I could sell other places. And so we use their production studios I gave them a discount on the licensing fee to offset their costs in, of the production. Sure. And then we started selling the, then they started manufacturing these video cassettes that I would start to sell other places. Um, so we started out with VHS and then we eventually went to DVD. Um, and then now internet, I mean, two summers ago, I threw out about 60,000 DVDs and CDs because it's antiquated technology. And, uh, it would hurt me at first because they were my babies, like all this these stuff I created. But finally, I just had to get rid of it. And uh, so the reason I did it with me on video is so everyone would get the same basic training, the same basic training experience. It wouldn't be based on different trainers that I trained and they would go out and some would be better than others. Everyone got the same consistent basic training experience. And then the facilitators you know, would stop the tape, they'd hold a discussion, they'd start the tape, hold the discussion, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so, so I want to, uh, let's break this down in terms of your, uh, not, not only what you did, but, but I'd love to break down the mindset at the time because, you know, we look, uh, you know, one of the things that I know you and I are both committed to is serving people in general and certainly serving entrepreneurs and serving our fellow National Speakers Association members. And, and I see so many people, because there's a lot of other ways that could have gone, right? What most people do in that situation is big company comes and says, hey, you know, we, we want to do something on, on video nowadays, it'll be online, whatever. And, you know, we'll pay you X for that, right? So one way you can do it is you just, they pay you a feed, you produce the content and they own it, right? Uh, the other way you can do it, as you mentioned, it is sort of a train the trainer model, right? Where you go out and train a bunch of their internal people and, you know, to re-deliver those programs and you get paid a fee for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you didn't choose any, either of those. And there's probably, you know, some others you chose what I think is the smarter way, but, but, the, the way that hardly anybody else does it, um, you know, which is to do it in a licensing format. So 
talk a little bit about sort of the, you know, the mentality and the decision making of, you know, doing that, uh, how you are able to sell that as opposed to just getting paid a fee. And maybe if you have any thoughts on the, uh, maybe I call them limiting beliefs or, you know, mm-hmm. lack of uh, awareness that a lot of our colleagues have mm-hmm. that has mm-hmm. them sell their intellectual property on a one-time basis uh, as opposed to having an annuity like a license going forward. Yeah. So, I mean, when you think about it as, as, as a subject matter expert, whatever, whatever industry you're in, you know, you develop intellectual property and that is a real asset and you have to see it as a real asset and it, you know, it's saleable, it's licensable. And so you just don't give that away to anybody or you don't give it away in perpetuity. I mean, I've had some people who've come, I, I do a lot of work now with other speakers and experts and subject matter experts and helping them make sure they have the right content for, for licensing and how to structure deals and, and all the various aspects of making it happen. And, the, you know, some people have come to me and they've done some licensing deals where they, they sold the, li- the rights to the material in perpetuity. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not a licensing deal because if it's in perpetuity, you no longer own it and they own it and they can use it however they want. And so there's always got to be a time limit on it. They use it for a certain amount of time. This is, this is what we get paid for it. It's almost like if I give a speech, you know, um, I, I had a guy was working for me one time and he charged a certain amount of money for a speech and it was local. And, uh, the client kind of objected. He says, you know, that's a lot of money just for driving up the road. He says, you're not hiring me to drive up the road and speak for an hour. You're hiring me for my experience and wisdom and the way I convey that to your audience. Right. Oh yeah. Good point. Right. So that's intellectual property. And so I, you know, to be honest with you, Cor, I don't know, maybe I heard it from being a member of NSA, the, the, the concept of licensing, maybe a mutual said to me, Bill, do you ever license your material? And I said, yes, not knowing what it was, <laughs> looking it up, you know. Um, but early on, I just learned that you don't, you don't sell that in perpetuity. I made one mistake with one company a long, long time ago. I was kind of new, a little needy for the money, and I gave a little small portion uh, to them for a small amount of money, and I regret it ever since. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know it's, it's cost me money over the years with that company. I could have done a lot more with them. So, so what do you think it is? Uh, so, you know, you work with uh, some of our speaker mm-hmm. colleagues, right, as you mm-hmm. said. And, uh, you know, what do you think it is? I mean, listen, obviously, there's some basic stuff. You, you, you know, you, your, your, your IP's got to be of quality, right? It's got to be something people want. Uh, yes. That's, that's that, you know, let's not skip over that. But that's, that's table stakes, right? You, you got to have something that people want. Right. But what is, what is it about, uh, you know, speakers that they, when they don't, do you think it's just they, they don't know the licensing model? They don't value their... Yeah, I, I think, what do you think it is? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's it's all it all boils down to confidence. I mean, with a, any entrepreneur you talk to, will tell you that probably the most important aspect of them being successful is is feeling confident about something, right? And if we if we don't feel confident, then we don't take action. And why don't we feel confident? Well, we're not clear on what it's going to look like. So we got to get clarity on the picture, on the vision, on what's possible. In this case, on the model, we get clear on what's possible around licensing. And then we gain the confidence that our, our, our material is worthy of that. And that comes a lot from, you know, having done it enough and seeing the transformation in, in people. And, you know, you really know you've got something that's licensable, licensable, that's hard to say, uh, when, they, when someone says to you, you know, how do we get more of you? How do we get more of this? We can't afford, you know, to take you 
to bring you here every year or to take you to the whole, you know, everyone, you know, how do we get, and, and that's it. That's boom licensing. That's the way you do it. And, um, when you do it with video, then you can, tr you control the product, which I also found is very important that you want to have a certain amount of control. And as much as I try to have control, it's still an illusion because they'll, they'll do it however they want to, but at least the, the core of the training is captured on video. Um, so I think a lot of it's just lack of awareness and lack of confidence, and they're not sure what to do. Um, and so, you know, if, if, if I explain it clearly and show them what the steps are, then a lot of people will get it, but some people still don't get it. Part of it's thinking bigger, you know, part yeah. of it's thinking that there's more here. Uh, it could be doubting their value. Um, you know, that when I first got started, I, I think just about everybody listening to this, Corey, can can resonate with this concept called the imposter syndrome. Sure. Right. Where, you know, do I really know what I'm talking about? Do people seem to trust me? Oh my goodness. You know, I guess I better do a good job here, you know? And, and when I wrote a book, the first book that helped a lot, but then after teaching it for a year and getting a lot of, I eventually realized I really do have something here, right? Or this really does make a difference in people's lives if they'll do it. And that's what allowed me to think bigger and, and charge more, uh, and you have to charge appropriately for the market. Um, it depends on who they're licensing material for what, you know, how deep their pockets are. But, um, you know, but just believing in your value and seeing the results you produce makes a huge difference. Yeah, and, and I, I love that you're an example of that. And I love that you help people in our community do that because I think there's so many more opportunities. And, and oh, you're right. You know, I mean, one of the things that, um, that I have a whole section in my Authentic Negotiating book on owning your value, and that's, that's definitely part of it. And that's, a, you know, that's an internal journey that we all need to go through to mm -hmm. get past that imposter syndrome and, you know, and, uh, and know that we have something uh, valuable to provide to the marketplace. So, you know, there's, there's another way to license too, by the way, uh, and I'm sure you're very aware of it that most people don't think about, especially in our world is where you can use the light, the license. I, as a speaker, I, as an author can license the rights to other things. Right. So right. I'll give you one example. Uh, in when I had the cookbook business, uh, some folks listening will be familiar with a seasoning that's that got started in Maryland called Old Bay. Sure, extremely popular in Maryland is what they put on the crabs and all that stuff. And Old Bay had a cooking contest, and so I offered to purchase the rights to those recipes and to use the Old Bay name and to come out with an Old Bay cookbook. And that was one of my biggest selling books. And so I actually had to pay them for the rights. I was licensing their intellectual property. Um, I've seen this with other folks who do studies about different companies. You can do a study about a company and then you can license the right to talk about that company. The company loves it. They're not in it for the money, but there has to be a contract in place to make sure it's, you know, everything's clear um, and what's expected and what's allowed. So it can go, it can go both ways. There, uh, in licensing, if you, if you start to get creative, if there's some, uh, you know, if you have a book about baseball and you get the right to license the, you know, Major League Baseball logo on your book, uh, you know, that's huge. And you have to pay a little something for that. So that's kind of the reverse of licensing. So it's, it's, it's a big world out there in terms of this. Yeah, absolutely. De definitely huge opportunities to be a licensor or a licensee. Yep. And I love that you, you're bringing that to light. Um, so just quickly, uh, in terms of, so, you know, you, you've sold two companies, you were in a business partnership. Those are two other types of deals. Hmm. Um, what, uh, any just 
big highlights, lowlights, lessons uh, from those experiences? Yeah. So the second company I sold um, was to get out of the company because I didn't like working with the partner I had. Uh, and so here's what I learned about partnerships and people can relate to this too. You know, if you get married, usually you have a courtship, you know, you might be engaged for a year, you go on some vacations, maybe you live together, maybe you don't, but you know, there's this courtship that goes on and you know, you agree on a lot of things. Businesses sometimes, you know, you meet for a couple of meals and you scope it out on a napkin and you think you got something. Next thing you know, you've got a business partner. Right. 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 And all right. So it seemed good in, in the, you know, the, the, the short courtship that it was. But what you don't know is how the other person is going to handle success and how the other person is going to handle failure or, or challenges. You don't know what their real relationship to money is. And every financial advisor listening to this can, can appreciate that people have some strange, weird, and, and varied relationships to money. And so th- th- what I learned is, you know, you don't go into a partnership quickly, ever. And, <laughs> and you really get to know who this person is. I had a guy who told me, he gave me wise advice. Um, he said, uh, he said, here's his philosophy is, is, and I was thinking of a partnership with somebody, he said, would you... Do would you go into a partnership with this person without a signed agreement? Would you go into a partnership with a handshake? Mm. I'm not. He says I'm not saying you do that, but would you? Do you trust him or her enough to do that? I said in this case, yeah, I do. He says, okay, that's a good sign, right? Yeah, get the contract in place, um, keep the lawyers employed, <laughs> but um, and it's important, obviously, because people change, etc. But that's that's kind of an interesting criteria. Would you do it without a con? And if you wouldn't, just walk away. Just yeah, just, I think you know that's great advice. That's great advice. Yeah, because listen, even as a lawyer, I always say to people that uh, the purpose of a contract is two things. One is the thing that people think about a lot, which is oh, if something goes wrong, we have you know we have a document that says who has rights to what or whatever. And the truth is that that's the last thing you want to happen, but it's good to cover that. The other thing that uh, going through the process of having a detailed written contract does is get what we lawyers call a meeting of the minds, meaning that it helps assure that uh, the people have really thought through, the business people have thought through stuff and have really come to an agreement and you don't have, you're less likely to end up in a situation which said, where somebody says, oh, I thought we were going to do it this way or I thought we had, had agreed on this. Exactly. But, but what I always say is that whether a business partnership works or not is largely unrelated to the agreement you have. It's related to the relationship. It's related to the shared vision. Mm-hmm. It's related to the ways of operating. It's related to, you know, to the ability to work together and listen to each other, and respect each other. And, you know, if, if it's going to go bad or good based upon those things, not based upon the contract. Absolutely. Yeah. When you start, start looking at the contract again, it could be a warning sign. <laughs> exactly. 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 Hopefully you file that away and you never look at it again after, exactly. you, after you've done it. No question. No question. So yeah, listen, business partnerships are tough. I've had some people on a show. I've been in my own, uh, some of which have worked and some of which haven't. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was sort of laughing when you said comparing it to the uh, you know, courtship situation because, you know, us lawyers call it due diligence, you know? So you do a lot more due diligence on your life partner than often you do on your business partner. And it's equally yeah. important. <laughs> you know, and, and one of the things I learned is, is, you know, you can have a partner without having a partner. And right. what I, you know, and you know what I'm talking about, you can have someone who is an employee of the company and they could be a, you know, a shareholder, 
um, but they're not a 50-50 partner, but they're partner-like. And, and so they, you know, they treat the business as their own in a sense, and, and, and you have a relationship so it's partner-like. And I think that's kind of an ideal scenario for a lot of people where, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a 50-50 split or a 59, you know, 51-49. It, it, you know, maybe they get a piece of the, of the pie if there ever is any, but, but they're partner-like. And they will get compensated appropriately because of it. Um, you know, maybe they make the same salary as you make, but there's still, a, you know, you still have a little bit of that control that you don't give away. Yeah. And I think yeah. everyone could use someone like that in their business. That's great. Um, so, so Bill, um, you know, I appreciate, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, the, the types of deals that you've done over time and what other people can do. Well, let's, let's, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit more, more about what you do when you're not doing deals, when you're actually doing what you do every day, whether it's on stage or whether it's the type of content you're licensing and type of clients you work with. I know that you, like me, do a lot of work in, in financial services, you know, with uh, RAs and other financial service people. So we have that in common. Yep. Um, so, yeah, tell us a little bit, you know, more about you know what you do uh, when you're not doing deals uh, in business. Sure. Well, I mean, the the short version of what I do is I help businesses grow uh, through relationship marketing strategies. Um, what I mean by that is referrals, introductions, uh, and, and there and that goes deeper and wider than a lot of people think. It's not just about asking for referrals, which some people hate to do. Um, it's it's client engagement. It's creating a culture of being referable. Uh, bringing in social event marketing is a piece of it. Uh, content marketing now, which is huge, even for financial advisors. Most uh, entrepreneurs can use a form of content marketing in what they do. So any, anything related to developing a better relationship and then leveraging that relationship for, for more business. Uh, my newest book, Radical Relevance, is all about how to talk about our value to other people in a way that's that really hits the you know the bullseye in their brain, so they they wake up and they go, oh, that's interesting, right? So you know we live in a, in an overcommunicated world. Everybody's bombarded by all these marketing messages. We are our clients, our prospects are. So how do you cut through all the noise and 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 reach those people and get them to listen long enough uh, to think that maybe you have something to offer? And so that's what my new book, Radical Relevance, is about. And they all fit together. If you think about it, the straightest line to be relevant in someone else's world for you to be relevant in a prospect's world is to get introduced from someone they already trust, right? So the introduction is still king in all of this. Uh, all the books I've read on marketing and personas and, and all this stuff, you know, all these ideas, it's all good. But at the bottom line, if you get introduced by someone, you know, who your prospect trusts and you can borrow that trust, Everything else gets easier. And the, working referrals and introductions is the only strategy I found that will allow a business to grow without spending any more money on marketing. Mm. Everything else costs money. Referrals, introductions, the most it's going to cost is maybe a little thank you gift, maybe a lunch or dinner if you get introduced in person. That's it. That's your marketing budget. See, I, I like making money without spending money. That's why I like licensing. Um, so that's what referrals and introductions are about. So that's what I try to do is, is, uh, uh, is help people grow their business without spending more on marketing. 
Uh, that's great. And, you know, Fueling Deals listeners, so obviously the focus of this podcast is on inorganic growth and deals. And, I, you know, the intro of the podcast, I always say there are two ways to grow your business, organically and inorganically. And inorganically is a way that a lot of people, you know, don't focus on, which is why I focus on it. Right. But it's, it is certainly not a replacement in any way. <laughs> you know, you have to work on your organic growth. That's well, the sure. It, 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 you know, even if a, a financial advisor buys a practice. You know, the other stuff doesn't go away. Sure, they bought a practice. Maybe they, the clients, maybe they bought a couple of sub-advisors that come in from that, right? But the, still, the, the client attraction stuff still has to take, take hold. Marketing, sales, it's still there. Uh, but it, you can certainly grow a little faster uh, through an acquisition. That's right. So you really should be doing both. So, uh, and Bill's a great guy to help you uh, figure out how you accelerate that, that, that organic growth um, through all the things he, you know, he does. And so he's not only given us a huge amount of value in terms of uh, the inorganic growth and the licensing and the other types of deals he's done, but he's also a huge resource for you to get more referrals and, you know, build your business organically. Uh, so Bill, I'm sure our listeners are really going to want to, um, uh, you know, hear uh, more about uh, you and, f- and and know where to find you and how to contact you. So what's the best way to do that? Yeah, best place to do that. We have a bunch of, of free stuff to kind of bring you into our world first, right? Uh, <laughs> so if you go to referralcoach.com forward slash resources and resources needs to be all lowercase. So referralcoach.com is the main website. But if you do forward slash resources, uh, you can subscribe to our tips. We have a bunch of reports and guides and checklists that, that are free. Check it out. Get a feel for what we do. If you like it, we can talk about other opportunities, but it's a great way to get in. That's great. That's great. So, Bill, my last question for you that I always, uh, I always ask guests on the podcast is uh, authenticity is one of my highest values. And for me, authenticity is not about external morals or integrity. It's really about uh, li- operating your business and living a life that's aligned with our inner truth. You know, I, mm-hmm. I do a lot of, a lot of work on, you know, I, I, I believe and my experience with working with uh, people in general, but certainly entrepreneurs, is that, uh, you know, our, our business growth is inherently uh, either limited or, uh, you know, uh, available largely because of who we are and the work we do internally and whether we can line up, uh, you know, to uh, have that internal alignment. That's at least my theory. So, um, you know, my, uh, uh, so my question to you, uh, I always love to hear is, you know, uh, how does that authenticity play in if it does, and I'm sure it does, you know, to how you make business decisions, how you design your businesses, how you do your deals, how you, and how you design your life? Yeah, sure. I appreciate that. Um, a couple of things come to mind when you say that. Uh, one is sometimes easier to say than practice, but always do what in your heart you know is right. Um, and I think that you know, unless you're a uh, you know a so a sociopath or psychopath, um, you have a moral compass. I don't care what religion or where you were born, you know, we, we have that. Most people have a sense of what's right or wrong. And, and, and we, anytime we're trying to hide anything, there, there's, there it is, there's a barometer, right? So living a life that you're not, that you don't have to hide. Um, and so being true to yourself and doing what you know to be right. Um, so that's a principle to me that speaks awesome authenticity that served me well. Uh, and hopefully, I, you know, that comes across in who I am and, and how I, and on the platform too, I don't want to become this different person when I'm standing on a stage and speaking. Yeah, you know, maybe I have to be a little larger than life, a little bolder perhaps, but I still want to be just who I am. I don't want to turn into someone else. 
Um, another principle, if you will, that's guided me quite well is uh, always choose in the direction of higher quality. When you're making a decision, you know, do we go with four color printing or two color printing? Do we go with the, you know, the deluxe model or the economy? Always choose in the direction of higher quality for yourself, for other people around you, for your clients, your employees. Um, and I found that when, when you do that, it not only do you end up buying more better quality things that then represent you better in, in the marketplace, in the business world, but you also feel better about who you are and what you do. And uh, I have a friend of mine who, he talks about success. Uh, he tries to help other people be more successful, but he's the cheapest guy on the planet. <laughs> and he won't spend any money on anything, and he always goes the cheapest way with the cheapest graphic artist and the cheapest this and the cheapest that. Well, that's not an attitude of success, yeah. right? I mean, you have to live within your means and all, but you know, direct, just choose in the direction of higher quality. Uh, so that's a big thing. So that, that, uh, that authenticity speaks to me and I'm sure it means a little something different to everybody. I'll give you one more I found, uh, that served me well, and that is only fight honorable battles. Mm. Uh, we sometimes get caught up so bad in trying to be right about something. And, you know, maybe we quote unquote win the battle, but we, we lose, right? When there's a winner and a loser, there's usually two losers. Um, not in athletics and that sort of stuff. I love to be competitive. Don't get me wrong. But in our interpersonal relationships, only only fight the battles that really matter, that really make a difference, that are true to who you are and not let your ego get in the way and having to be right. And I found that that really hampers a lot of people. I, I love that one. There's two two related expressions that I often say to people in those situations. One is, you know, to look at whether you, you know, would you rather be right or would you rather be effective? That's right. one. Mm-hmm. And then in relationships, especially in in uh, intimate relationships, you know, with uh, partners, whatever, you know, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? <laughs> That's another one. Yeah, being right's a booby prize sometimes. You know, maybe it feels good for a while, but then look at the resentment it could create uh, that you're going to pay for for a long time. So, you know, and when you when you decide to be bitter about someone, or you know, and you go after someone in a vindictive way, you know, you're not fighting an honorable battle. Love that. Rise above it. Anyway, so that's uh, you asked. I gave it to you. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Love all three of those. That's that's a great way to 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 go out here. And uh, Bill, I, I so appreciate you coming on. You provided so much value for our audience. Oh, my pleasure. You bet. And thank you, fueling deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't, and it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor, other than that the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals, and then they take action. It's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer, signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at fuelingdeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.